everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Life's But a Song, a podcast likes to live in the land of musicals. I'm your host, John, and today is another milestone episode. And so we're breaking all the rules. We have four guests today. We have returning guest, Matt Koplik. Hi, Matt. Hi, John. We have new guest, Kurt Perry. Hi, Kurt. Hi. And then we have two cast members from Diana the Musical, Andre Jordan and Laura Stracco. Hello, hello. Laura, did I say your last name correctly? Yeah, actually, that was perfect. It usually doesn't happen, so thank I, you. I am, and I am well known for fucking up name pronunciations. <laughs> and here we are here today to talk about Diana the Musical. I am so excited to finally talk about this with y'all. I've been waiting for like what seems like years. Uh, so Diana the Musical came out on Netflix in 2021. I only saw it this past May for the first time, so I'm new to the Diana fandom. Um, the book is by Joe Pietro, music by David Bryan, lyrics by both David and Joe, directed by Christopher Ashley, and according to IMDb, the dazzling and devastating life of Princess Diana takes center stage in this original musical filmed in advance of its official Broadway opening. So, um... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is technically accurate. It that doesn't is. really capture <laughs> the essence of the of the piece, but it gets the basics right. So yeah. I, w- I want everyone on the same page. We're going to be making fun of probably the source material, the material itself. <laughs> but to the cast, y'all like are amazing. Watching it, I was just like, how did they not die doing this eight times a week? <laughs> like... Cause like the court, it every minute of this is choreographed, <laughs> like and and it is and watching um, from this is how your your people dance going to snap click. I was just like, there's no break. You all are just doing a costume change and then you're like hardcore choreo- choreographing. So I guess for Andre and Laura, like you all, you can speak to this. How did how did you not like did this was probably taxing on your bodies? Yes. It's no. funny you, you bring up like that switch specifically because it got harder later because those songs used to be flip-flopped mm-hmm. in in the when we did like their first run on Broadway. Um, so there was more of a an actual like a break. There was a little bit of a scene to break up those two moments. Yeah. But then when we <laughs> were doing the rehearsals, they were like, oh yeah, so we're thinking we're gonna we're gonna flip them. Um, and we'll you'll we'll make it happen. Like, you know, we'll have changes. And they added like a little bit more music when we came back from Broadway, but it yeah. literally it just it did get harder. <laughs> you, Andre, babe, do you remember like the whole first half hour of the show was completely different? Yeah. Like it was it was really in June of 2020. Um, we did like a Zoom workshop and we completely reconfigured like the order of the first half of act one basically um and you you also it's funny that you also have two kind of like singer tracks I mean Andre definitely danced more than I did but I was there for vocals honey I was like I was giving you all the offstage sweeteners I was (laughs) dancing those numbers I was like y'all be blessed I was like I'm here to support with towels and water but I don't know how they did that without vomiting That's the thing, like, you know, we ne- if you were on stage and you were doing everything that you were doing, you knew that everyone that was off stage was always going to be, like, supporting you there vocally, yeah. so that it never sounded right. like, you know, it was, it was, it was faulty or it was. It was- mm-hmm. I can attest, not only, I saw the Netflix Diana uh, when it came out, and then I proceeded to see it twice on stage. I saw it 
towards the end of previews. Yeah. I was devastated when Harry, my ginger haired son, got changed. I revolted. <laughs> And there were, and then there was some retrospective and uh, worst job in England that got turned into dialogue. And I said, "How dare you?" Um, I think Matricide got cut, which I was very furious about. Um, and then I saw the second to last performance. I couldn't see the final performance because I was seeing stupid Lehman trilogy. I already had tickets with my mom for that, <laughs> and I sat through all of Lehman trilogy, being like, "I could be at the final performance of Diana right now. I could be at the final performance." Uh, and I can attest both times in reality. Uh, the vocals for Diana from everyone from Gina down to everybody, like always fucking fire all of you. Well, that is one thing that I, I think that even when I was, cause I, I worked front of house for Diana quite a, quite a bit. What? I was listen, we sound associates were there. We're just creeping around in the back. Hey, <laughs> um, I do have to say that I think Diana has some of the best, the, the best singers on Broadway point blank period. I really do think that the, that some of the best singers in the entire industry were in that show. I mean, like, yeah. Like I know complaints here for the Netflix recording though. How much of it was actually live? Like was everything you sang everything? We sang it there. There was a little bit, I think of the track in the, actually the track was just the track. Like it wasn't our vocals. So we sang that live, like when we recorded it. Mm. Um, right. Yeah. And then the, cause remember the track was like super light cause they had to, they it couldn't be too loud yeah. to mix, but we had to also like sing along to it full voice. Um, oh my yeah, God. we, we definitely had to sing. I know that the leads on Netflix are live vocals yeah. in uh-huh. that moment for sure. Okay. Um, and then the majority of the vocals, I believe, because we in that same bubble sequence of a month and change, we also did the cast album out in Jersey. <laughs> so I know that it was cool. like it was like ensemble vocals from the cast album recording and then lead vocals were done live uh, for the film. Yeah. Um, but All we right. still sang uh, while we were recording it, of course. So it was oh, of course. Like, yeah. Yeah. Weren't lip sync because like that's crazy. So the only reason I know that as well is because I listened to the cast album so much that I have all the ensembles like dynamics down pat. So when I rewatched the movie for my own podcast uh, about a week ago and then for this, I was like, oh, this is the cast album, not because like you guys couldn't do a lot, but I was like, I, I just know exactly when these crescendos happen. And it's so down to them. I knew she was like, this is the cast album because, and I, again, I listen to it like every day at the gym. So well, cause I, like, know this, <laughs> I know this to be true. Like, I'm not going to lie. I've listened to pretty, pretty dress on repeat so many times. It's a banger. It's a banger. This like, score is wall to wall box. Every time. The moment, was... the moment it ends. It's box. So, okay. That is the Tony Awards number. <laughs> I, I mean you. the main event is the Tony Awards number no Listen, no yes. no no those are my pretty no pretty 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 dress has to be the has to be the Tony Awards the number main, the main event is what feud Betty versus Joan thought it was trying to be <laughs> but Diana actually gave it to us actually, I, listen listen you know what? Well, you know what it's gonna be a long Tony number because it's both songs how about that it's just yeah. the entire show a medley and a medley. me on the medley. side <laughs> like getting giving that good Joseph that good Joseph medley kind of energy the uh, one that's like five seconds of every single song correct so, so it's great that you brought up the main event too because I had a realization about who the ensemble is during that song and the ensemble's a sassy gay man like you can't argue my mind otherwise because when Diane like basically when Diana enters she's like I'm here too I can hear 
but no one is actually doing it. That gay, <gasps> the gasp, you know, the, the clutching of the pearls and everything. And like a lot of the other lyrics that you all sing, especially in like the worst job in England, it's like, this is the mind of a sassy gay man. Like <laughs> you can't- but The whole show is like if Perez Hilton was commenting on Diana's life. It's like- oh, that I, like I have not heard that take. And I, I think that's <laughs> appropriate. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. And, and Gina, like, she's, oh my God, she is amazing. Judy, Judy. Okay, so was Barbara Cartland supposed to be like the narrator throughout the whole point at what, at some point in this show's lifetime? I think so. So Laura and I actually, we joined right pre-Broadway. So we did, it was like a workshop and then we, that we joined and then we were part of like the 2020 version. But I do think back at La Jolla, it started, there were versions where it was like a storybook sort of thing where they were telling her sort of life. So I think Barbara Cartman maybe was a bigger sort of part of mm-hmm. that influence a lot. I think it was maybe- Her dad kind of, too. Her, her dad, dad was also- and, and, I, and there I, used to be a child Diana as well. Yeah, so, I, was about, I was about to say that. Um, but it's interesting about the La Jolla is that they got bad reviews, but apparently it got extended twice. So- <laughs> People love it. Yeah, it well, is. Some other the reviews are interesting because, uh, like the L.A. Times. I so again, I did my own podcast right, on this right, right. Uh, literally a week ago. I'm not like stalking you guys. I I had done research literally a week ago. Um, <laughs> the reviews out of town were like you had the L.A. Times that were basically like, this is not very good, uh, and they have a lot of work to do if they want to bring this to Broadway. But then like all the actual local papers said, mm-hmm. oh, it's a blast. And sometimes, I mean, at least in my experience working in theater and in film, like there are sometimes people who choose to listen to their champions and not the people with constructive feedback. And mm-hmm. uh, sometimes, and I feel like that kind of happened a little bit with Out of Town, where it, instead of going, let's maybe dig a little deeper into uh, the grit of Diana's life, they're like, well, let's just streamline the narrative and make it more focused on her and the and the romance. Uh, something I said about the bop of the score, it's something I love about it, but also the double-edged sort of that is um, sometimes moments that are meant to be very serious, like, you know, when Diana's having um, postpartum uh, depression. Uh, in moments like that, the last thing you really want as an audience member to think is like, this song's a bop when like your lead character is <laughs> having a mental breakdown. Uh, it's, it's something I've said before about like the dueling wild parties and whether you like one over the other, Ooh. you never really get the danger of burrs in the Lippa version. Cause let me drown. You're not like, Oh God, this guy's dangerous. You're like, yeah, Brian Darcy James jam out. Yeah. percent. Yeah. Like you don't need dissonance all the time like believe me not every score has to be passion but uh you do need a little bit of that edge sometimes and when diana is having a breakdown all i can think is gina is serving gina is serving. <laughs> 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 like and and like i know that um i know that this has been shit upon all like through especially the razzies like the, the Razzies, Razzies were rude. We're the Razzies, everyone knows that the Razzies that. fucking suck. They can go kiss them. Super their proud ass. of that. Um, but like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, the fact that the actors were nominated for this, I was a little like offended in a way because I was just like, "You all are doing amazing." Yes. Yeah. Like it's yeah. the, it's the text that you have to say is what is bonkers, and 
deserving of <laughs> Razzie level stuff. The existence of the Razzies, though, were meant to sort of punch up against like Hollywood movie stars yeah. who were up their own butt and making these like passion projects that were insane, like, you know, Kevin Costner's Waterworld. So doing Diana is actually punching down because like Tom Cruise isn't in Diana. No one in Diana made dollars and got to walk away to their chateau in France. Like you're, that's yeah. punching down. And I think a lot of people acknowledge that when the Razzies did that, they were trying to jump on the bandwagon of what online culture was doing. And it's like, no, 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 this is not, this is not. Although I, I would see Tom Cruise as Barbara Cartland. So <laughs> I, I have 20 bucks. I should will be a start, producer. I will, Genius. <laughs> but like the fact that, Gina and Judy won. I, I don't know if that's a lot. I don't know what to say for this. Like they got a Razzie for yeah. their performances. And I was just like, no. <laughs> Gina's giving me the kind of vocals I haven't heard since Sideshow in the 90s. And for that, she should be given Ooh. way yeah. more awards. I agree. Like yeah. I, I miss those like thick vocal folds on Broadway. And every single night was the same. When I tell you she was yeah. consistent, it never sounded any different. It's like she figured out how to place that show in her voice and she delivered every single night. Also, credit to her for being a gay icon because both times I saw it live after like people, um, uh, you know, went online and said what their th- things were. During um, As I Love You, that's a song that's where she sings I Love You in like five different languages. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> she had a moment where it's the line that serves me right for marrying a Scorpio. And it's really hard to do camp or to come back to a show like Diana, where it started being embraced as camp. Cause the only way camp can work is if you keep playing it earnestly. Mm. And so Gina did it earnestly until she did serves me right for marrying a Scorpio. And both times I saw it, she gave like a little look out to the mezzanine did like a little shoulder shimmy of like, <laughs> we both know about this lyric. And then she moved on. And I was yeah. like, that is the <laughs> perfect way to Im- she played earnestly, but acknowledged to the gays out there because you know we were all out there and we snapped on that. And we also snapped on, actually, it's a royal highness. We all went, bitch, work. <laughs> but But Every also day. for like Judy, like no bullshit. I love An Officer's Wife. Yes. Like, yeah. you love that song? I do. It's I do. amazing. <laughs> it's a nice song, but I mean, it also comes right after words came pouring out. So I'm like, oh, I'm... yes, yes. Like that I so, get. But like, I mean, if you separate it from the show itself, like the fact that they end it on an alto note, like not like a high buttony yeah. note or anything. I was just like, this is, this is some balls in this song. And it's, gr- I, I really love it. And like the, and like even re- I just rewatched it before we recorded. And I was like, this stage, the, the staging of the ensemble upstage is just, I hate myself for not seeing this live. Mm-hmm. I really do. <laughs> I hate myself for not buying more merch the first time I saw it. I had to get anything <laughs> I could take at the second to last show. I have three t-shirts that don't fit me. I have a magnet. <laughs> there, we, there's still, there's still the, the Broadway flea market. Who knows? There you go. Oh, the uh, Broadway garbage sale, garbage bazaar. Um, <laughs> Which I guess I will go to in the vain hope that there is a t-shirt from Diana yeah. that will fit me. Maybe a poster laying somewhere. I'll take it. Yeah. I mean, or any any scrap of fabric from those costume changes. <laughs> just a square of the red sequin, the red sequin fabric, just a square. <laughs> I, w- I will say uh, specifically about an officer's wife. I think that that was the first time I, that was when I started to tear up. Because right. I do cry at everything, and I am a big wimp. And I did, I like, I from like Officer's Wife on, I was like, oh, so much potential. Because <laughs> yeah. um, I did basically cry the last like twenty minutes of the show every time I watched it. Um, 
But oh. officer, officer, like the story of of Queen Elizabeth is really compelling, as we've seen from things like The Crown and and those kind of the adaptations that we've seen of her story. Um, it's interesting to see these two women who have had equally compelling stories, kind of generations right after another. And I thought bringing that in to talk about her struggle with her idea of responsibility and what that becomes was a really great way to kind of put like a nice little bow on the the themes of the show. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie. The first time I saw, I watched this. Uh, when we go to the last song, "If Like the World," like mm-hmm. all of a sudden, I just, I just like had a moment of realization where I was like, "Oh, she's gonna die. She died." <laughs> <laughs> it, it was like when I watched Rogue One, and I was like, "Oh no, these people are gonna die. Like, there's because they're not. They don't exist in the rest of Star Wars. Like, oh no, Diana's about to die. Shit." And then, and then that's when the waterworks happen yeah. to me. Mm. It sneaks well, up. It sneaks up on you. Like, hello, right? Sadness, yeah. <laughs> and then well, it's sort of like Titanic in that way, right? Like when you watch Titanic, when you get to hour two, you forget that that ship is going to go yeah, down. Yeah. Yes, and, and, and then, then you, you're like, oh right, right. And then you watch it, and you're like, oh fuck. <laughs> yeah, but you're um, like, maybe, maybe this time it'll be different. You know, <laughs> but the fact um, that... fun fact about oh sorry, I was gonna oh, say you... fun fact about Officer's Wife is that that was the first song that David wrote for the show really yeah because he was saying that he was trying to if he they were like okay let's try to if we can figure out a voice for the queen because they knew they wanted you to be a part of it in some capacity um Mm. or i guess probably just right off the bat like let's just write a song for judy from the queen's perspective like i kind of wish that was like the theme of the rest of the show (laughs) in a way because like I get that they pulled influence from like 80s music because that's what Mm -hmm. Diana was really into but you don't really get that until this is how your people dance and you're like 10 15 minutes into the show and you're like why does the music slap so hard and then that happens (laughs) you're like ah I get it that but, is worst job in England erasure, and I will not stand for it. Oh, true. Well, the shoulders of the ensemble in that number well, are doing they, the Lord's work. What I'm saying is like they don't define why it slaps so hard until because that she's making references to Prince, Queen, all these other rock and roll stars. And like last night or whenever re-watching it, there was um I forget which song it was, but all of a sudden, oh, it's I Will. It sounds like Starships, nothing's going to stop us now at some points. And I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, the This Is How Your People Downs, the thing is like, so that song is basically her kind of ment- mentally going into uh, a space of, you know, I don't really enjoy this world that I'm kind of going into. I'm at odds with it. And maybe there's a chance that like I can bring them in to my century but that doesn't really continue as a narrative for the rest of the show it becomes more just like diana does this it pisses charles off diana does this it pisses charles off and i think if you kept more with the narrative of that push and pull and had the music reflect that it would be less jarring for people um or like establish even the beginning like the royal like the monarchy and sort of what their Mm -hmm. role is and their sound is and then when diana and her stuff comes in that's when sort of the 80s boppiness comes in uh, so you have a there's a reason behind it as opposed to like coming in hot with uh, underestimated, which right. is such a bop. But it's like it also is. the last kind of su- music a lot of audience members expect, especially like with the way this music uh, this show opened to the bow now now now. Which credit to the writers, they're like you're either in or you're out. Like here's the sound, <laughs> you're in or you're out. Does <laughs> okay. So like I said, I never saw the stage for the actual live. Is that how it starts with that 
electric guitar and everything added the paparazzi coming in uh and singing have you ever been a tabloid tale so that was so it's the same music but they added the paparazzi to sing it the paparazzi was in the original version on broadway before the pandemic where we we had like a whole we opened the whole thing i think it was a little bit longer and Mm -hmm. then we left and then they cut it for netflix and then they were like we're just gonna tag it onto the back again so then like Mm -hmm. back by then shorter that's weird (laughs) that's so weird that they cut it because i was like obvious because watching this i'm like who's the villain is it the queen is it charles is it camille is it the paparazzi mm-hmm. are the paparazzi like that's i don't know a, it's the paparazzi yeah <laughs> society society is the villain <laughs> that was something that i thought was really interesting about the way they wrote it was that they purposely did it so that there wouldn't be a necessary villain of the main four characters and you are supposed to villainize the paparazzi for sure yeah. that's uh, that actually was one of my very favorite parts of the shows i got chills every single night when that guitar came in and the lights just like flashed up on the guys and they sang that and they just like whoo, with their coats and they were out of there and you're just like what just happened like it feels like a slap across the face before you even get started and it's, it's such a good way to like jolt into the show yeah i would i do wish that the paparazzi was used a little bit more just because like they, well you don't you can't necessarily say like who the villain is in the show because as you said like they didn't want uh to make it like a clear cut i felt like making them slightly more of an ominous presence that would eventually lead to her demise mm-hmm. uh would have would be nice uh i mean the trench coats the trench coatography in Snap, like, <laughs> oh my god like, make anyone go oh this is a gay villain but <laughs> it's still I, I would like more please more 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 like i mean because watching this is how you people dance and you um there's some people as servants like positioned just on stage in different things i was just like i don't understand this staging but maybe if there was like a paparazzi person there too or some people like to give that presence more weight the whole thing the whole thing about that number especially is like we we really only kind of see it there and then again in James Hewitt but that's supposed to be like purely fantasy like that is her fantasy Mm -hmm. coming to life and so I think of course in her fantasy they don't the paparazzi doesn't exist right oh. yeah. it hasn't been introduced to her in that that way of that story yet it's like it was like yeah. technically her first date also yeah. with like the prince so like they no one's caught wind of who she is right who she has. yeah until literally the ne- right yeah. afterwards right right, right. <laughs> that's that's why the reverse of snap click why it's while it's hard for you guys yeah. narratively makes a lot more sense i also want to give credit to the writers for uh choosing to cut child diana from out of town and not uh making us have to watch two child actors as William and Harry. Uh, I do not like child actors. Uh, John was on my podcast where he talked about working and I was like, I need to be a cut it, get it out of my life. I Wait. want the child off my stage. So with Diana, I am so glad that I don't have to see her stupid children. Not stupid, but like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to see child actors. In any... So like Diana, I'm like, let me live my diva life. I want these kids out of here. So in any uh... iteration of this though, were there actually a Harry and a... Uh... A William or no? They were always just and just the babies, just the just the dolls or whatever. Yeah, and there were two different dolls too. Different you gotta dolls. believe. I brought that bassinet in, and they were like, "No, we have to change the doll. We have to change the baby." There were two separate because we had the line of ginger-haired son, and if you oh, bet your ass, you had that from line the, from the mezzanine. You can see that he has her bassinet. Yeah. <laughs> oh my, ginger-haired <laughs> son. 
Matt, you know that uh, William, who obviously listens to this podcast, is going to be upset with you because he was like, I'm glad William got come from the show. He's going to be like, Kate, did you hear what they said? <laughs> William won't listen to I this, assume... but his son will. George is going to listen to this. And he's going to be like, how dare you insult my daddy? Harry is Harry is like watching all of it. He's like, <laughs> honestly, George is the only child I want to see on stage. The I feel other, like that I think that kid has star presence. The other thing Con, too, legend star. The other thing too is like, also while watching this and listening to it, I do disassociate a little bit. Where I'm like, mm-hmm. why are Camilla and Diana always fighting for Charles? Because like I'm thinking when I listen to it, I think of their the real people, not who these actors are and i'm like charles is gross like why are they why are they treating him like the sexiest man alive yeah and because and Ro is a glow up for sure like he is not, Ro, yeah, we, 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 we traded up with Ro. Uh, Ro was amazing and that was a good casting move they're like well if we're gonna have the audience watch these two women fight over a man we gotta make sure the actor playing the man is pretty hot I watched it with my roommate the first time I saw it on Netflix and we said Ro is just a yassified version of Charles yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like he's been put through some facetune uh he's been you know some photoshop yeah. he's ready to go some it's all photoshop <laughs> well, <laughs> well so just like my, your computer's overheating from the amount of photoshop that's needed yeah <laughs> Um, there, what I actually like what Diana does with uh, Camilla is how they portray the Camilla Charles relationship because like they were their intention was never to be like let's screw over this young no. girl and make her feel like they were two people who were in love who couldn't be together and it was just was naturally their progression was like well of course we can't be together so we will be together on the side because we are mm. we are in love and time has sort of shown that that's their narrative and the show makes that very clear. Yeah. Uh, with something like, you know, uh, I miss you most on Sundays. And I also think, I wish that they expanded on this a bit more. Camilla has a baller lyric in the main event, which is, it's we don't like to think of it because Diana suffered so hard. But she's like, I actually love Charles for the man he is. You love the idea of Charles. You never yeah. really even right. knew him. How can you say you're in love with him? He's just like, it's the fact that he's your husband that you are so like, but hurt about this like you don't actually love this man you don't know this man and i'm like i would love three more verses where camilla just goes to town on that line because it's so true and and diana needs to hear it i will say for the amount of the amount of abuse that camilla received you know we talk about the amount of abuse that diana receives during this period of her lifetime um from the institution but what i think that doesn't quite get talked about as much is how camilla was spoken about by the press you know her nickname was Rottweiler. They called her a dog. They called her ugly. And it is so compelling for me to have what I think they did really well in the, in Diana specifically that I haven't seen in other adaptations of the, the story of Diana is this kind of really creating a sympathetic character for her because she's just a woman in love. Right. Mm-hmm. She's not also, a villain. She's just a woman in love. It's to have Aaron Davey on stage and not like relate to her also uh, true that woman uh, is a bleeding very... heart personified yeah. and anyone who saw, did anyone here see great gardens, gardens? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it was my first broadway show Word. oh what a good choice but Just, like, even if like i've seen her in things also where i haven't even really necessarily liked the production or even her performance but i never blame her because sometimes just directors give bad direction like um i didn't necessarily care for her in night music but i blame that fully on trevor nunn because that woman just knows how to get to the root of a mm-hmm. character's emotions so you just no matter what you're watching you're like yeah no i feel you girl 
I understand that you're going through it and I and I can relate. Well, because like also the show, I know we said that they don't really villainize the main four, but like she in the main event, she's like the antagonist of that song mm-hmm. for Diana's protagonist. And like, right. I feel like the show though, doesn't know how it wanted to treat a lot of people, especially I would, Camilla. I disagree. Yeah. Diana's one who shows up to Camilla's sister's birthday and she makes a scene. And like, like she has a right to, but she she's the one who comes in and she's like, you but, know. But like, she comes off as like a sympathetic villain in a way, mm-hmm. like 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 an like wicked like Elphaba, you know, where it's like we're giving this backstory, but like in real life, like who knows what exactly was said because no one was there. Right. But like the way that everything has been portrayed to us, it's that Camilla was always against Diana with this but like they're friends <laughs> in this move in this show sure she's um, trying to be friendly like, laura and andre i would love to hear some insight uh from rehearsals from workshops of like any material between them or any camilla material that might have been cut that didn't make it to netflix or anything like that um yeah there, there was that one little scene do you remember there was like a it was it was like a separate little vignette it was like 8a or one of those numbers <laughs> where um we there were a couple of us it was like we were charles's friends and we were uh we were over for drinks oh and, wow oh and wow. uh they were and they were like spitting words about diana uh i remember the the oh, melody was like Diana, which uh-huh, he later yeah, does yeah. in the race, right. Right? right? And so we were all, we were all kind of like he would say this really hateful line, and we'd be like Diana, and then her. Camilla yeah. would say a, a mad hateful line, and we'd be like Diana, like uh-huh. all acknowledging and kind of pointing mm-hmm. to the fact that she's the cause of everything, which is ironic because like they literally work together to bring her in to become the cause of everything. It's like we brought her into the firm. We don't like how she's taking to everything. And so now we'd like to take her down. Yeah, so there yeah. was that one little song totally um, that, that was cut. And I was like, that was one of my features, but all right. What do you, do you remember anything, Andre? Also in, I think like the beginning, you know, now in the Netflix version, the Barbie version, like, you know, Camilla comes out right at the top. Like the first thing that you <laughs> hear, like heard relating to, to Diana. Mm-hmm. Before that on Broadway, there was, there was a song called What Good is a Prince? Oh. And this like stable scene was a was in there from I think probably the beginning, and it's like the actual story of like how they met, where they were at a party mm-hmm. and Charles was at the stable, and she goes into the stable and sees him, and like they they chat and they talk and they get to know each other. But it you know it starts out with her coming in there, and then Camilla comes in, and all three it's all three of them in the space for the first time singing about this, and like Diana and Camilla don't really know each other yet, but they're sort of like talking about like what they think. Um, makes a good prince slash lover husband you know um yeah it was a I think when you think about where that started of them like making it out like almost being like friends sort of or like Camilla reaching out to her and saying like oh you know a girl this is you should meet this guy oh you don't know him like he's he's really great he's you know and then having that awful scene of them talking about it would show more of like the the downfall of them but Mm -hmm. but we we made it less about them being friends because they weren't I don't think a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that was cut did they give a reasoning like were they trying to cut for time or were they trying to like streamline it because this sounds like 
really interesting material that you all are describing. <laughs> I mean, I think some stuff was cut because they they went back and forth on the second number of this show. They went yeah. back and forth and A changed lot. it. We had so many different versions of Big Number Two. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I think they were trying to figure out like, um, Judy's entrance because yeah. like that has to be a big enough thing and like it wasn't really serving yet right. and so they wanted to find a way to serve that for her but I, I think also some of the stuff that was cut was just kind of adding to like the vitriol it's like we don't need that like we <laughs> we don't need like more hate in this story it's like if it doesn't advance like the the narrative in a compelling way it's like snip it yeah. And we changed a lot daily. I mean, like if we ever ran something for producers after a day, like stuff got gone and, and moved mm-hmm. out. And like there was so much of a critical eye from everyone about how the story was progressing and being told. So yeah. it was sort of just like always, always shifting. The other thing is, I don't think in the show there's actually a moment where Diana realizes what's going on with Camilla and Charles. She first meets Camilla. And as far as she's aware, they're just friends. And then she goes to the symphony or whatever it is. And she's like, well, she's here a lot. I don't like that very much. Like, that's weird. But she never has a moment where it clicks. Uh, The closest we get is after she's had William. And she hears Charles say, I love you to come on the phone. Uh But the reaction isn't, wait, you love her? What's going on? She's like, you still love her? And like, we never had the moment where she knew that that was happening beforehand. That as... um, and I feel like oh, it's that there was. The show. I'm so sorry. Just remember, there was a moment in whatever love means anyway, where I, this really happened too, <laughs> where Camilla sent a card to her saying congratulations, but it was postmarked before he proposed. So it was like, oh, so like, but how does she know that you were gonna propose to me? And so there yeah. was that. I yes, because we were on stage. I think in that in that moment, I think I was on stage right near stage. I think we just were like the props yeah. setting for that. We were not, but there was a moment in there where she. Mm-hmm. And that would have been nice because I think that would have been the real turning point. Because if you if you look up the sort of timeline of Diana and Camilla and Charles and sort of her courtship with him and then re- realizing what was going on with Camilla and she was in too deep by that point to like get out of it. A lot of stuff that Camilla was doing, like Di- I mean, obviously we all view our lives with us as the protagonist, right? And like anyone who hurts us is clearly like the villain of our story, and it's. It's very, if you ever like watch interviews with Diana as she's doing like her tell alls, she's not ever really acknowledging what Camilla's intention was at the time. Because again, like Camilla was trying to help Diana, who was a lot younger and unaware of sort of what the situation with the royals were. Right. And what Diana's life ended up doing with the royal family was like shining a light on sort of how messed up their daily lives were and like their their mentality of how to go about their lives so camilla wasn't trying to like ruin diana mentally she thought she was doing a nice thing and diana who was never a part of this world is like why would you send like why would you send me a congratulations card like postmark before like seven and there's something else she did to diana that like diana realized after the fact that it was like on the bed where camilla and charles like just had had sex like the day before Mm -hmm. and but camilla like Camilla had tried to like make it nice for Diana and Diana's like what like no I don't want to be in the bed you guys fucked in and but, like yeah like but in 1980 Camilla's like I know like no other mistress would do this like I'm trying to like be yeah. nice to you and Diana's like right. no just stop fucking the guy who's about to be my husband right yeah so it's a, it's a weird dynamic for sure but I mean and you kind of there is like that scene with Diana and her sister where she brings up Camilla like early on and that's I guess when she Diana realizes that they may have an affair, but like there is no 
weight to it. There is no like she calls them French. Like they're friends. Uh it, right. they're yeah. The, in fact, it's act two and the sister's like, you know where your husband, husband is, right? Is. right? Like that, right before that the main moment event. needs to happen again in act one. Like, listen, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh Sarah is an underutilized character. That girl knows yeah. a lot more about the royal family than Diana does. She could be she's a much easier vessel for information and uh exposition than they give her she gives she gives us a little bit i'm like you can give her a lot more it helps the audience oh, a great deal justice for sarah she deserved a song 100%. she deserved a ballet yes <laughs> dream ballet a dream ballet a dream. i want a dream ballet of sarah and charles's courtship when she had one foot out it's gonna be called the one foot out ballet <laughs> foot out the door. and it's gonna and i will do it justice justice for sarah i have a, i have a whole vision for when i eventually do diana the musical um for anyone who's seen the movie cruella with emma stone and emma thompson yes yes okay. yes. There, yes there's a That's there's what... a montage in cruella when emma stone is like fashion usurping emma thompson and one thing she does is she steps on the car that emma thompson's arriving to an event in and her, her train covers the car so emma thompson can't get out and in pretty pretty dress when Charles is doing his whole speech for older buildings oh, and Diana yes. overpowers him with a ha-has, I want, I, it's going to be, my set's going to be environmental with a series of platforms and Charles is going to be underneath the platform talking about the older buildings and Diana's going to enter on stage and walk up that platform in a train that covers the whole thing and just covers him and <laughs> her next verse. It's going to be Matt, glorious. Matt, Matt, I can't, I can't wait to see you direct this at the Muni. <laughs> the Muni? No, no it's Encore. Nova. I'm a classy motherfucker. Okay, okay. New no, York no, production. I got, you. I got you. I got you. I got you. No. No. Drag no. her. Drag her. Ars Nova only. Ars Nova only. Environmental <laughs> and classy with subscribers. Can we? All right. Since you brought it up, I need to talk about Pretty Pretty Dress. There's a moment yes. in there that I hate so much because, okay, this, the there's a theme in this song where it's like, Word A, repeat word A, word B, word C, repeat word C, word D, right? Like pretty, pretty dress, a lucky, uh, uh, a, a handsome, handsome prince and everything. Mm-hmm. Charles's line is um, uh, a lucky, lucky man with his woman by his side. And I'm like, why isn't it woman, woman? It <laughs> has women. to be. Two women. That it works in, in multiple layers, but it's like, a lucky, lucky man with his woman, woman by his side or whatever, you know, or try to or fix it a little bit. But I was like, you set up this pattern and then you No, they don't, they don't always do that though. Really? I, uh, they don't always do pretty, pretty girl in a pretty, pretty dress. Or pretty, it's just something that's uh, pretty, a pretty, pretty girl. Uh, it's just something else. She, uh, she does like a, to a round of great applause. Yep, 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 yep. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. No. She, yeah. It's, so, yeah, I hear but, you, John. But I'm, I like, hear you. I'm like- But it's not the law of the song. <laughs> can, can we- Matt, in your version, can you like fix that line for me, please? Thank you. I'm not changing a goddamn moment of this material. <laughs> my it's perfect. I won't MTI? change. It. I will. I refuse to change a note or a syllable. <laughs> He's like MTI will come after me. Absolutely not. However, this song also has one of my favorite lines, which is "Too many frilly, frumpy fruffles." I was oh, like, I love it. No. I was like, fruffles. Yes, this is a new word. We're using it everywhere. Excuse me. Rather skittish when her designers were all boring and British. That is. <laughs> A phenomenal I mean, lyric. Uh, I mean, any, I stood up and I threw my shoe. I, the, the, there are so many lyrics in this show that I think are some of the best le- musical theater lyrics we've had in the past twenty years, Ooh. and people make fun of them. And I'm like, no, it's so brilliant. Just because it's not like super super serious doesn't mean it's not brilliant. Well, like, so the problem is, is 
you it's always hard sometimes with the show to recognize what the tone is supposed to be because you have mm-hmm. things like here comes james hewitt which is supposed to be camp but right. because we also have, like are in a world where we like a it precedes something that's on the more serious side. And like, we don't necessarily establish when the camp is supposed to happen. So the things bleed into each other and people don't recognize when a, when a silly lyric is meant to be silly and when it's actually meant to be serious. Mm-hmm. And that is sometimes hard for people to do. Also, this is a show with nothing but perfect rhymes, which is very rare these days on Broadway. But also <laughs> when a per- it's hard to do a perfect rhyme with a serious song and have an audience take it seriously because part of it, it it's a very, uh, hard balance to make and something that sometimes always talked about in his books of like i always want to make sure it's a perfect rhyme it helps the audience understand the lyric the emotions if, um but if you go for the wrong rhyme it's instead of becoming like clever to an audience you're like oh that's so brilliant it becomes like well i saw that come from a mile away right. and and i do think that the show much as i love it and as i said i won't change a syllable of it there are moments that do do that um i also think Something that's really hard to do on stage for a, for a story as big as Diana is understanding in songs like A Pretty Pretty Dress what it is she is doing uh, with the fashion, like what that's supposed right. to be doing. The, right. b- the build is supposed yeah. to be her rise in popularity, her becoming <laughs> an international icon and just like and using that fashion to then put an eye towards the many charities and organizations that she's working with. Right. But we don't see that we just see her in various outfits right. and i think actually the dress the fuck you dress in act two the that story beat that they do with the fashion i think is what they're trying to accomplish in pretty pretty dress but because it doesn't accomplish that people then just keep focusing on the lyric pretty pretty girl pretty pretty dress right sorry that was that was this is why i need to direct it john because I, I think about these I'm, I'm ready i'm ready <laughs> i will throw i will i will help you with costumes in any way you need Andre, right. Laura, are you ready to come back to the show? Because you're going to come back in. Oh, 100%. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Who would you want to play, though? I would play I me mean, again. I would, yeah. I would absolutely <laughs> reprise tracks? my role as okay. Felicia, the, the house servant. Um, she it took her very seriously. And homegirl um, uh, at the Royal Ballet Gala. Come on. And <laughs> now, to conclude the role. <laughs> And the most special uh, of guests. I, you know, it's so because I always, you know, we're all looking forward to that moment. So I always like mm-hmm. hear yes. Laura if I never see Laura. But bitch, like when I watched that on Netflix yeah. and I saw you up there, I I stood the fuck up and was like, oh my god. <laughs> god she was comfortably so zannied out every time she came to the gala. It's you and you look you, like the hair. You you make you look pulled like you are giving like organizational fundraiser like you're it's everything oh my god everyone yes. in that and scene the- is giving anastasia realness you're giving uh, american psycho uh, realness i'm here for it. i love it <laughs> and she is she is also invited to the main event the gala hostess is at the main yeah, event gala, same yes. dress same bob yeah. baby so she she is there and she cannot believe it mm-hmm. you, and you're also so great in the main event like you you're they, they catch you a lot on the netflix and i i live <laughs> you, chris medlin and i have an easter egg in the main event Ooh, you? <laughs> you tell a little moment where it was like the end of filming and we were both I remember being slap happy like we were it was a long day and he had you know there's only like a couple people that actually have drinks in the main event and we have those like bars and so the bar was like down in front of us and um and I would always fuck with him and try to like not looking but like take his take his drink and I would always like down it like at one point and um the camera totally caught me like 
us grabbing and like fighting our little hands for his little <laughs> drink. And not, both of us still completely looking at the action that's happening on stage, still completely invested. <laughs> our hands are like, now I need to watch it. We watch this. And I was like, I texted him when it came out. I was like, shit, Chris, they caught our like little scuttlebutt there. Oh, I have one complaint, by the way, about Pretty Pretty Dress. Both times I saw Diana, that very last no. uh, costume change did not happen. It didn't happen. happen. Oh, no. We're so- in, I, went to, I went to a preview where the elevator didn't open up at the end for Gina. So she that. sang the whole thing yeah. below the stage. Uh-huh, yeah, and so that. all we heard was a disembodied voice going, she'll take all the uh-huh. monkey. And one of my friend Amanda, who had not seen the Netflix version, she's like, where's Diana? And I grabbed her. I was like, the elevator didn't work. I already knew the show so well. Like, I'm literally just like staring at her in the whole. <laughs> yeah, I remember, and and I remember the number ended, and your stage manager had to come out like with a flashlight and like stare at the floor. And when it was clear that it wasn't going to open, he's like, "Bring in the curtain, bring in the curtain." And I was like God. devastated. And then I went to the second to last show, and someone in your ensemble was not at the right moment because she came out in the red refrigerator dress where she looks like a refrigerator. Because, mm-hmm. it, ah! yeah. um, it's, it's anyone here watch Drag Race? Yes, no, yeah. maybe? yes, one hundred percent. Okay, great. no, so, no. What is this? Speak of drag race. What? I never like to assume. Okay. As a, as a heterosexual man, I <laughs> I would sports. never deign um, the Raiders, the Jets, the sports people. Um, so you know, like when Sasha Moore changed the game and started doing yeah. the reveals, and yeah. then it became like RuPaul's best reveal race. Yeah. And I remember like Eureka. You could just say Eureka. Coming out of the finale in what was clearly a refrigerator box. We're like, well, you have four reveals under there, girl. Uh, Like, just everybody's coming out in like uh, U Haul trucks. And you're like, well, there are the props. And that dress at the end of Pretty Pretty Dress, I always have issues with because it's so boxy that you know there's something under there. And so even though like the reveal is great, I'm like, it's not as fun as the first one she does where she comes out in the pink outfit because you're like, oh, wow, that's, I didn't expect that. Yeah. Right. Um, and so I was devastated to see Gina just stuck there in her red refrigerator box. No one ripped it off. And I could just tell she was like, this audience will never know what I was going to give them because someone <laughs> wasn't in the right spot. No, that, listen, we yep. run, we ran that dress change many, yeah. many, many, many times. Like that, especially at the first time that didn't go off during previews, like we had, we changed blocking, we changed everything. But um, the dress for that reveal was just not, the reveal setup for that was just poorly made. It didn't have enough fail safe in it. Yeah. And that is a shade to blame. Like it just, like, it, it, it was the most inconsistent piece that was just like, and after that preview, we were like, okay, we got it, we got it. And then just one day, went to go tag, tug it, pull it. And she's really just supposed, she just holds it. It's yeah. like a super thing. Like Gareth is like right there. It's like, it happens so easy, breezy, fast. But that- But why both times with me? Why did it, why did it happen both times with me? Why do you guys <laughs> hate me so? I, yes. <laughs> the same moment too. Like, why is it, mo- why is it this one dress? How dare you? I was, I, I at intermission, I was so angry. And my friends were like, what? I took a bunch of friends with me. And they're like, why are you so mad? I was like, there was a reveal. And I didn't get to see it live the first time. And I didn't get to see it live again. I was so angry. <laughs> And there's no merch anymore for me. I have I have bad yeah, merch. I have nothing. <laughs> I have nothing left in this world. Well, I have to go I see remember- the Lehman trilogy tomorrow. I'm so angry. <laughs> I, re- <laughs> I remember just a real grudge against that show. <laughs> You're like you ruined it. Uh, I will say the when watching it um, the first time because I, I remember s- I sitting on the very couch I sit next to right this very second watching the Netflix version going seeing that red dress and going oh god I hope it's a reveal. <laughs> Because otherwise, I was like, oh, I'm going to have to say something mean about that dress. And I was like, oh, it's a reveal. We're okay. We're good. We're yeah. good. We're good. <laughs> We're good. We're good. Um, oh, one more thing. That being said, that take from Netflix 
was the last take. We tried it maybe mm. five or six times and it didn't work. Like that was oh, that's so we could get it and we didn't move on. Like that was, we did it many, many times because it just, it just kept failing. <laughs> many, so, many times. Uh, <laughs> pretty, pretty uh, <laughs> so I do, I, now that we're talking about like the costumes, I have to ask for you, the, the other dress. The wedding dress. The wedding dress. Yeah. Uh-huh. We have the to talk about the wedding one. dress. Yeah. yeah. I think that was the first, I was so, to, as an actor myself, you know, like when you're an actor and you see a show, you're like, you think you can figure it out. That was one where I was like. <laughs> I know how it's done. I know how it's done. Cause I was. Oh, I know. I was, I was, I was in the front row, baby. I saw that ninja run out of that dress as Gina King. Ah! Who's the ninja in the ensemble? <laughs> Yeah, because isn't, isn't it supposed to be like Austin. she she came out with one bridesmaid and then all of a sudden when Gina was in it, there's now two bridesmaids. No. Isn't that the idea? No. No, it was it was it was literally someone all in black who pieced the fuck out backstage oh, as Gina came into there. So like I saw I was I was I was so happy watching it because I was like, not only was like, oh, that's how they did it, but I watched that ensemble member just run for dear Jesus. Yep. Like <laughs> no one can see me. No one can see me. Did they no, no, this is just a question I just thought of. Did they use the same double for that dress as they did in Pretty Pretty Dress as the person walking across the stage? Is it the same actor? It's yes. There's one change to the design color. of the dress, though, from Netflix to Broadway, and it's the veil. Uh, they were very kind to Gina and gave her an actual veil for Netflix. Uh, because normally it's all like, it was all on like stilts or something, right? It was like, yeah. yes, because it's like, he- it's like the head thing that you like sort of step into and then roll it. Yeah. But it didn't have yeah. wheels in the beginning, right? Like she picked it up at she, first, right? Was she carrying it before they added wheels? Oh shit. Yeah. But then it but then the wheels were like super clunky and every time right. it would hit one of the boards on the stage, it would be like ding ding. so it was so then actually when we came back for our second go at broadway they they i think had the whole cage redone by Uh actual puppeteers and the whole thing was about because it used to be like a solid thing that she put her face into and was like i will and they like (laughs) and was like kind of doing her vows in her periphery right but then when they did the new one she could put her face in it and like move the it was kind of creepy and animatronic but it it did the trick like yeah it was so much better when they fixed it and kind of like fiddled with it the right way well yeah because i'm saying on netflix it's just a separate veil so she can actually act and she can move her head yeah yeah because they can go cut put the veil on her yes action new thing yeah. but uh, yes. obviously in the stage production there's there is no cut you have you yeah. just... but th- these are things that broadway <laughs> videos have done forever there are shots in that obc into the woods that were not there when you saw the show yeah. in 1987 they were like we're making a movie we can make some movie magic same yeah. thing with sunday in the park with george so like oh this dress is going to be a lot cooler when bernadette steps out of it as opposed to when you watch like the press footage and you're like oh She's she's standing in a skeleton. Like yeah. it's <laughs> well, so Matt, Matt and Kurt, um, this is a question directed to you guys because you both saw it live and then the Netflix one. Which do you prefer? Because the Netflix one, you get some great shots like in if that the from the back, uh, upstage where she's in silhouette, like that's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Don't don't fight me on that one because you'll lose. <laughs> but like <laughs> Watching it in the audience, though, do you get the same feelings that they show you in the Netflix one? I mean, for me, I'm always an advocate for theater, experiencing theater live. Um, Okay. 
I think that I personally prefer the little, the small changes that they made for the Broadway reopening, I think worked a little bit better for me. It streamlined um, some of, some of the, the things that I, um, it kind of took it from this, this, it took it from like a nine and a half to a 10 for me. You know, it was like little adjustments that made it just better for me. I prefer seeing it live. Okay. Um, to be fair, I also got to see it live several times. Yeah. So um, <laughs> true, every true. change, every change made after Netflix devastated me because I spent a month and a half memorizing mm-hmm. my cast album, and then when I saw <laughs> it, and lines like "Ginger Haired Son" were changed, I was furious. Uh, but yeah, I mean, what you don't—I also can't speak for every night. I wasn't there the night when someone shouted out at Road during Diana the Rage "Fuck Off," which I Ooh. wish I had been there for that. Um, <laughs> Uh, to to that audience member's credit, and this is not Rose, uh, this is not uh, anything Rose did. That song is like merciless to the point where, like, yeah. I know when I first watched it on Netflix, I was like, Jesus fucking. Wait, which Christ. one? Is, which one is this? Uh, Diana the Rage. The Rage. Okay. So that first start, don't act like a tart, Diana. You know. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. And then so like the first time I saw it in previews was very interesting because uh, it was towards the end, it was right before you guys were about to open, and I took a friend. And I would say the audience was like, of the of everyone who was there, it was like one third homosexuals and two thirds bridge and tunnel. And the energy changes the night progressed where like the first two numbers were met with very enthusiastic applause from the bridge and tunnel crowd and a very defiant, like, it's very similar to like Beanie and Funny Girl. Like they showed up and they were like, we're going to prove those assholes wrong. Like we love Diana. She's the people's princess. And it was like a very kind of energy that was a little forced. And then as the night progressed, they got quieter and the gays got louder. Mm. And the and the applause and reactions we gave you guys, I personally felt was much more genuine. So like things that really like tickled us, we gave you like full on, yeah. So you know, um, every costume change, every mm-hmm. time Diana or Camilla were especially bitchy, like a certain uh, dance room that we all were into, and that's the kind <laughs> of stuff that like you can't buy. And like that is the beauty of live theater and. It was an interesting kind of energy that I feel like the queer community is really good at where, where it's sort of why camp that means so much to us mm-hmm. where it's like, yes, we love it for the camp factor, but we also are not going to come and be rude. We're like, we, because it's tickled us. So we are going to be extra supportive, but also we are going to be genuine with that support. Right. So it's not like, I don't know how, uh, with, uh, with everyone uh, working in theater, uh, what it's like for you guys, I can only speak as an audience member sometimes I go see a show and the audience reaction is so much where it's like, it doesn't feel genuine, even if it is loud and supportive. I'm like, this doesn't feel earned. And it's, it feels a little indulgent. Mm. And then I have nights where like, it's truly the audience could not want to be anywhere else, but that theater. And it is respectfully, it's like a respectful rock concert where like when the Mm -hmm. moments come where applause is necessary, it is so enthusiastic, but they don't, the audience doesn't make it about them. And then that, First uh, time I saw Diana live, the gays were a respectful rock uh, concert audience. And because we were a third of the audience, it wasn't like overwhelming. It was just like a core group of us going like, keep going, keep going. We're here and we're loving it. So like, I'm not going to lie. All the material for Netflix I prefer because I I prefer the Mm. OG lyrics. But the energy of the nights that I saw it were amazing. I'm not going to lie. Watching it every time on Netflix, every time James Hewitt makes his entrance, I give a standing O. Like <laughs> I'm sitting down, but I'm giving I'm, him a standing up. It is. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, that's the moment that I described to everyone that James Hewitt enters 
through the trap, riding a saddle, shirtless, screlting his name. Yes. You can't. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, and so that, that is so. When when I finally saw it on Netflix, I went back to read like the Broadway World reviews from like the first week of previews, and they were like kind of tepid. And I was like, motherfuckers, <laughs> love this or hate this? That like pretty good, whatever. Like those are not words I would use to describe. James Hewitt rising out of the floor, belting his no. own name on a mechanical no. horse, was oiled for Gina. And and then and then and then they, Barbara Cartland writes this like fantasy dialogue where they're using innuendo, uh-huh. and then the women's ensemble response at one point when when she's like Charles doesn't basically she's saying Charles doesn't please me sexually. All the women are like, "What? Uh, oh, you go, you girl!" Go, like that is amazing uh hands yeah. down like, i love all the riding jokes that they make my only my only note is i wish they made one innuendo about butt stuff just one I, if, if we're gonna go there go there okay go there that's a that's a fair, so that's wait, a fair wait, criticism so i know you said that matt in your production unit won't change the word but like would you just add that joke in then um i might put it in subtitles uh, <laughs> I'll project, as they're making all their all their That's innuendos true. I'll put in subtitles of what they mean parentheses, parentheses butt stuff butt, butt stuff, stuff. Yeah. yeah you yeah. so when the ensemble girls go you go girl it's gonna say in parentheses try butt stuff Diana and... <laughs> I will say the, the thing that gets me is the, the thing that gets me in this show is that it starts out I this the part that I really got hooked in was when we started getting the, the trio, the Diana, Camilla, and when that really became the focus of the story. Um, but then it's it kind of starts this like roller coaster climb to pretty pretty dress, and that's like where where you get like, oh, this might this might be campy, you know, this might be yes. really campy, and then you get James Hewitt, and it's. <laughs> and that's the moment where i was like i was in i was in but then i was in yeah because i was like i'm ready to go on this ride with them um and the, also that um sorry i just i just have to go back and think about barbara cartland for a second um amazing okay, I'm, back. I'm back i just had to zone out for a second also, so, two things are we not going to talk about um and the world fell in love which is has some of my favorite ensemble and that's that true i love uh, all of the ensemble yeah uh i also want to say so like how familiar are we all with sideshow og sideshow. oh hi i've done it three times absolutely <laughs> yes <laughs> Fierce. um the, the rest of the room sideshow so it's you know siamese or sorry mm-hmm. uh conjoined twins uh-huh. uh alice and it's alice ripley and emily skinner mm-hmm. in uh act two uh the night before alice ripley is due to marry hugh panero and emily uh, Skinner and Jeff McCarthy have been giving sort of like I want to fuck you eyes all night long. They go on the people. Called... The people are getting married, not the characters. The people. Yeah, they, the characters <laughs> they're playing are getting married. Yeah. Um, but I, I can't give. I'm not going to give character names when. The I, I know. I'm terrible. just being funny. That's all. But they're at they're at the Texas Centennial and they go on the Tunnel of Love, and there is a six minute number where Hugh Panera, Alice Ripley, Emily Skinner, and Jeff McCarthy sing their faces off because. They're, while they're like in the dark, Jeff McCarthy's finally like, well, no one's watching us. I guess I'll finger blast Emily Skinner now. And Emily Skinner's having an orgasm that Alice Ripley can sort of secondhand feel. And she's furious. 
feeling secondhand the pleasure of her sister. Meanwhile, her own fiance won't touch her. And there is, uh, you know, a, and like the ensemble is like whisper singing and like shout singing. It's so, and like there are lyrics like, what um, I'm feeling, what she's got, what I'm feeling, she's got everything he's not yet doing with me. Yeah. And then Emily Skinner has a big old orgasm. She goes, it's a sin, it's divine. And then Alice shouts, I want mine. Where is mine? <laughs> it is camp, it is drama, it is beautiful, it is amazing. Yeah. Diana, six minutes of Tunnel of Love the entire night and it's why I'm obsessed with it because it is high it is low it is everything it gives me the vocals it gives me the drama it gives me the insanity like telling you guys how what that number is Tunnel of Love it's insane and you're it's either on YouTube you're it's on YouTube go watch out. it I'm gonna go check it out for sure I, I will you, need to yeah. let, you should listen to it because like just the, the way it builds vocally you're like yeah I want it no other way but then when you My say favorite- to yourself wait a second while while this wonderful music is happening, this is what's happening on stage. Yep. Jesus Christ! Yeah. And that's sort of Diana, and that's what I love about it. Like, yeah. When you listen to "And the World <laughs> Fell in Love," you're like, uh, 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 and then you're like, oh, it's it's it, it's a it's a royal tour of Wales with a giant sign that says Wales. Wales. And it's like, <laughs> and in your mind when you're listening to it, you're just, yeah, it's like yeah, ten thousand people shouting for Diana, but you can't show that on stage, so it's like a very dedicated ensemble yeah. of like 12 trying to be 15,000 people as hard as they can just really like and like you all Ashley and Kelly are not helping you guys with the staging of like making you feel like a larger crowd than you are they're putting you just in one clump uh there's there was a Marilyn Monroe musical that's not smash back in the 80s uh, and there's a number where they were like trying to be a giant mob at a movie premiere for Maryland, but it's like an ensemble of 12 and they're just like behind the bar on stage left. And they're, tr- they're that ensemble is trying so hard to seem bigger than they are. But the director did not have the foresight to be like, what if we moved them around the stage? And like constantly just made them seem like people were trying to get to Maryland. No, they're just on that side. And I was so angry because Ashley and Divine do not give you guys the uh, ability to enwrap Gina as much as you should. Mm-hmm. You're too often you're on the side. And I'm like, these vocals are too good. These, this energy is too good. Let them burst out. That song. Uh, that's what I want to say about that song. And now I'm done. And I won't talk most, anymore. You're right. That song got <laughs> the most work out of everything. Like pre-Broadway, that was, because we, we were still workshopping that in the workshop before, yes. where it was like the Charles and Diana traveling show, which was a different version of that yes. song. I love um, that version. I did too. That was really cute. The Charles and Diana <laughs> traveling show. Wow. <laughs> Where is that? You almost got the Charles and Diana traveling show. Um, I lied. I would like that please send to me and I will put that in my version of the show. I will make that one change. Can you give give Matt all of the music you have, just all of it from Diana, and then he will pick and choose what's in it, right. <laughs> what's in this version of it. Because like, y- y'all are dropping all these nuggets of trivia from like workshops and everything else. And I'm like, this is interesting. Went through like, so many yeah. different ways and, and, and trying to, especially that one, like, and specifically how to capture the feeling of thousands of people with these all mm-hmm. around here. Like that was the main yeah. thing that we, they were trying to achieve, but also like set it off at a place that still felt like it didn't drop the energy of it. Like that it still felt exciting and like moving. It was just, because um, like, Lord, did you have a solo at the beginning of the whale segment? Were you the one who sings, I don't know, she seems real nice? Was that you? That's no, Holly. I, but you have that's one. That's Holly. That was Holly. Yeah, mine was very long. It was years of royals. That's it. <laughs> so. Because then who says so standoffish? <laughs> and, then, and it was Tessa Shea said so standoffish, right? So, so standoffish. Yeah, that was yeah. Tessa. Yeah. Sorry, when you said that it was really long and you did that, I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> oh, it, it was the rest of it. 
Laura knows very, how to set up a punchline. <laughs> very, uh, that, that's very, and in a bed. <laughs> and in a bed. <laughs> in the great legacy of actors who have had that line. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh my God. I may or may not have made a video uh, going through many actresses who have sung and in a bed and what each solo I, means. Matt, I have absolutely no doubt that you did that. I absolutely did that. Because <laughs> if you listen to each version, each recording of Les Mis, each actress has a very specific viewpoint for and in a bed. Wow. It's like a linchpin of the, the hair hag. Is it the hair hag? <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, it's, yeah. absolutely, it's absolutely the same actress. And when, when you have a cast that's doubling mm-hmm. the way it does in the original, it's yeah. the same actress. Right. Well, and then someday when you have a Years of Royals montage, send it my way whenever 100%. we've done enough productions. Uh. Of theater, so. I'm going to have and Years of Royals and also what a lovely thing to do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, the pr- listen, I am sitting patiently and waiting for the dress montage. The dress montage. The dress. The song, the dress. I don't know what what I'm going to do for uh, Secrets and Lies. Am I going to make that like a giant waltz in the hospital? I don't know yet. TBD. So I'm not going to lie. Watching it, I was just like, does this need to be a song? Could it just be a book scene? Because like, it's a lot of dialogue happening with music. Mm. Right. So don't get me wrong. It's a great scene. Love it. Very important because like, she is the first person to treat the um aids patients like people and like like Mm, first public figure yeah yeah like to not wear a glove to talk to them as if you know we're all friends and we're all just hanging out and we're all people not like ew gross you have the gay disease uh but uh, like it's it's a very important scene i'm just like does this really like like i'm also questioning like is this show really like an opera with some dialogue like see, I, I, think it needs, I think it needs to be more music because um, something like Les Mis only mm-hmm. works because it is wall to wall music. And it's why the movie kind of <laughs> fails so hard, because once you add dialogue into the world, then you go, well, if we could have spoken before, why did Valjean have to sing about turning left on the corner to steal a loaf of bread? Like that could have been spoken. <laughs> right. um, it's like if, if you saw the Miss Saigon revival, which was all about like, we're mm-hmm. pretty, we're real. And then it's stupid. When Chris is like, your money's on the dresser, like blah, blah, blah. And Kim's like, let me tell you about my family and how everyone like went up in flames. It's like, well, someone literally just said, like, I'm going to go like take a leak now, like spoke it. We don't have to sing everything now. So you, I think with Diana, it actually should be more music. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. Well, totally agree with yeah. you. I think when every song's a bop, like, yeah. give me all the bops. Yeah. I mean, I think structurally, uh, and Andre and Laura, please weigh in on this. I had, I noticed it was kind of sort of structurally similar to something like Evita, where not only, you know, we have a very prominent historical woman and her rise to fame and power, but structurally kind of that vignette kind of like, okay, this is, this would happen now. And then this happened and this, unless in kind of a traditional dramatic shape. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that something so stylized like that lent itself to the material in a lot of the ways that Matt's talking about that why the rock opera of it all kind of, you know, it's like when you talk about Les Mis, what kind of what made it not as good is you were trying to do prestige drama visuals with musical theater soundtrack. And that doesn't really work as we saw with things like Dear Evan Hansen and Les Mis. Um, And I think that, I think that's right. That Diana pushing into this like rock opera 
place is where it kind of shines and becomes most glorious and like crystallizes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's it called? Secrets and Lies was also longer. They cut that song down, remember? And they and the original oh, yeah. before we really it they cut it was actually way sadder. It um yeah. there was a, a bridge line where Chris talks about um um if you could uh, go to my mom and tell her I love her and I miss her, which is that yeah. what princess is that what a princess does? Like this really like and everyone would always lose their minds. And they actually thought that the the, the feedback that came back from that was that it was too sad. Was that it just <laughs> it made everyone it, it just they thought that it was that it stopped the story in a way that was that had oh, okay. to deal with the emotions of, right. of this, this kid singing this really sad song. And they oh, did, it was like a child. No, no, it was it was Chris, you know. But I mean, oh, like, yeah. Yeah. like the the older producers that were everyone that was coming to feedback uh-huh. they gave from the number was that it was too sad, and that they and which is interesting because then I feel like when people saw it versus the lyrics specifically of like um, I may be unwell but I'm handsome as hell um, <laughs> felt really you know that that they were really moved by that moment when they saw it on stage that mm-hmm. it resonated with them. Um, I think too, I think that song in particular is a great example of how this whole team, which is the same team as Come From Away, does what this does this thing really well, which is like they handle something that could be um seen as like a straight to tears moment or like a really easy uh grab at like a heart-wrenching scene and song and just make it more real and 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 make it more not that those feelings aren't a real part of something as horrendous as the AIDS crisis and 9-11 but like realizing these people and being like they are real people they were real people that she was visiting and like they were allowed to like care about things like their eyeliner running out and like they you know making that a little bit more relatable and less um taking a little bit of the tragedy out it out of it and honestly I think it had a little bit of the opposite effect it almost makes it a little bit more heartbreaking that you're like fuck these are like people just like me and and I that could be my friend or my brother or my partner like and and highlighting the absurdity that nobody else was talking or touching or you know hanging out with these people um so I think that's something that this team did really well is kind of that nuanced because it could so easily go the easy route of just like play for the tears you know yeah I would I honestly wish that scene was a little bit longer maybe not like a 20 minute sequence or anything but like because that nuance and whatnot I feel like what's so important about it is to live in it a little bit longer especially because like it's so hard to approach something as big as like the AIDS crisis right and and not make it seem like you're undermining it or underselling it by not uh, devoting a lot of time to it uh yeah so I I do I do appreciate the specificity of uh that of that character I think what I like about uh, Come From Away and Come From Away I didn't realize how much I really loved it until I saw it again post-pandemic uh so like my my first show back to Broadway was Hades Town, which I uh, which I had a free ticket to, and it was, it was it, like I like Hades Town. It's not my favorite, but I was like, I was like, oh, how wonderful to see a show again, right? And then um, a friend of mine got me a ticket to Come From Away because they were working on it, and I went to like some Sunday matinee and just like pretty much bawled from the moment it began to the moment it ended because not only is it moving, but like it just like works as a piece of theater. And I was like, <laughs> oh, this is why musicals are so impactful. Like this just works so well. And part of it is also like there's a humor 
in comfort way that a lot of people don't expect. Like they think they're like, going to go see, oh, the 9-11 musical. It's going to yeah. be super sad, but there's a sense of humor about it. And I feel like there, there could be a little more sense of humor in Secrets and Lies because things like the eyeliner, again, it's that thing where some audience members go, am I supposed to laugh at that? Or is that a serious line? And What's also when he reads her where he's like, girl, that collar. <laughs> yeah. I'm he's not, like, girl, that that maybe not the collar. I'm sick. I'm, I'm not sick and I'm blind. blind. Like, come on, girl. <laughs> I, yeah, I think he but, needs to have a little snap snap there. But also, like, watching it, you also have to remember, like, this is nine, not, like early 90s at this point, I think. 87 In, is that picture. With that is picture. that yeah. Okay. So being like, it being gay wasn't really like as like welcoming as it is today is that the word i want to use but also because because there, all- there were a lot of strides the the aids crisis really put a, a huge stigma on the queer community that uh this eight lend the end of the 60s through the 70s worked really hard to uh abolish and then it kind of came back with mm-hmm. right because like the 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 other lines in that scene where they're like my parents don't know i'm gay or like i'm not out yet they don't like, i'm sick yeah you're like oh shit like that right that was the mindset of 80s 80s 90s being gay and like also being gay was illegal in the uk up until the 70s and so 87 is not that far off from like when it was when it stopped being illegal so those characters parents probably would still be of the mind frame of the this is illegal, this is wrong. Even right. if like a lot of other parts of the world are embracing it a bit more. So yeah. it's like, yeah, it's that weird transitional period for sure. Yeah, and it's that's why I think that the through line of the scene of them taking a picture is like, I don't, I can't do that. Cause like, and you in the mindset of being like, I can't do that cause I'll lose my job, which is sad because it's like, oh baby. Oh. Yeah. Like that, that's heartbreaking. Right. And, and, and to get to the place where they feel that she has allowed them to be comfortable, feel safe. Yeah. Well, uh, when they when everybody starts joining in like and listen i i i still think the scene could use some polishing but like when everyone comes in to say like i'll take a pic i'll take a picture as well it's that oh captain my captain thing we're like it doesn't yeah. matter who you are oh what happened yes. before. you the stand up people in the audience say, i'll take like, a picture yeah, I, I am spartacus i'll take a picture oh captain my captain <laughs> just like uh, i'm always just like oh, God, yeah, that's thing. something that will definitely happen in the rocky horror version of this show when it starts like when people start going to like theaters to at late night to watch diana mm-hmm. that'll be so one matt's of, version everyone I was going to start jumping out of the artist. He's going, I'll take a picture. And then that's going to be come back with an added be her. piece of snap click. That's going to be on the, that's going to be on the step, uh, step and repeat. He's going to be just a picture of it. So you can take a picture with her. Yep, <laughs> oh my God. God. I don't know why I don't work in PR. <laughs> the five of us should start a PR firm. Well, Speaking of PR, whoever Ready. was running the Diana social media, I hope they were making a yeah. million dollars a week because mm-hmm. that person was doing the best work of 2021. It's- I hope that I hope that gay PR intern got promoted real quick. Uh, <laughs> funny story. <laughs> it's actually not as like <laughs> glamorous. So basically, and I'm I'm free to say this, right? Like I'm not signed by anything. So basically, um, we, oh yeah, you guys don't have any NDAs, right? Like we're no. we, all these stories I can publish yeah, <laughs> that you're talking about. Okay, great. <laughs> just like just a red dot appears on his fore- <laughs> on their forehead. We're we're an hour and fifteen minutes into this, and I'm like, wait, is this okay that you guys are telling me this story? <laughs> <laughs> these stories? Is there anything we need to cut? <laughs> I want I want history to remember this. The right okay, way. great. Tell um, me. Oh. <laughs> So, I mean, as you know, like there was a lot of um, 
between Netflix and, and the and, and the show coming back about how we were going to like market the show, right? Like mm-hmm. this idea of like what people were perceiving in like the trailer versus they felt like they got on Netflix. Um, and also even just like the marketing, like outside of our theater, like there's no ensemble at all. Like what like the story that you're sort of trying to tell all this kind of stuff, right? So this is like a constant thing that we're always sort of like talking at, with ourselves as a cast. Um, and then when we got back to Broadway, this was, yeah, it was during Broadway. Um, we had the social media, but it was very, very, it was, it was non-existent. Like it wasn't active really on like, no, really? like it really wasn't like it didn't it active until after opening or around opening. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, we were, we, we had noticed too, like between Netflix and uh, going with Broadway that like, you know, they weren't reposting a lot on the Instagram um you know people were you know there were people that did like it on netflix Um, so uh i did a takeover i did a takeover for the first preview and i got into the login and i pull up the messages and i swipe over and there's just thousands upon thousands of unanswered unresponded unliked like fans that are engaging they're taking pick you know they're taking recordings of the musical they're tagging it on netflix you know they're they're, they're saying how great it is they're asking about coupons or, or not coupons you know discounts tickets you know, like, um they're you know they're they're engaged they're like when it's a show come out you know there's people that are trying to engage with it and yep. nothing was being done so i oh come on so i called a meeting <laughs> you have to understand good for you good for you i was a very um I, I really found my voice in, ter- um, in this company um, in terms of like speaking up when I felt like something was harmful or not helpful to the company that was like, should be talked about, right? And we were, we were done playing this game of like, oh, I'll just send a little email. Like, no, we have to have a, a team talk about this. Um, so I had brought in like, it was like our social media people and some of our, uh, our producers were there. I didn't mean for the producers to come. I really just wanted to talk to the social media people. Um, and I told them, hey, I think we're missing out a lot on this, you know, we really should be engaging with people way more and not just on Twitter, but on, on these Instagrams. You have people here that really, they, they like the show. They're super young. This is the audience that we need to be going for. These are the people that are seeing it, right? And I think in their minds still, they were still trying to play it to like the older crowd of people that will you know, try to get them into it Our because parents. it's like Anna. Um, and I, we were, I was just like, no, um, and, you know, and, and there just has to be like way more stuff. You know, you, do you know what TikTok is? Do you need, you know, I remember I said, I said, why don't we have a TikTok? And they said back to me, we don't, what did they say? Like, we don't think that's our demographic. And I was like, it's TikTok. It's yes. everyone's demographic. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's the yep. way of Broadway community right now. You yes, need, you, you so, need a strong social media presence unless you're like Phantom or Wicked yes. or Chicago where you've been on Broadway for forever and are probably never leaving. Yeah. But like, well, probably. It, it's all funny along. because sorry go ahead um no no laura you go ahead i was just gonna say all along they were pitching this show to people who loved that diana while she was alive and that is not the reality of the people that were coming to our show it was people mm-hmm. our age and like yes i was still alive but i you know i was around but like i didn't grow up loving her and having right. that as like a figure in my life and so they needed to pitch the camp to people our age. Like I looked it up. I was nine when she died. So like, I kind of remember it on the news, but like, but like, it's great that like, we're getting the crown Spencer, 
this, Diana the Musical. Like there's all these now visual mediums years, it's been what, like 25 years maybe, not even uh, since she's passed. And you know, I think it's been 25 years. Yeah. Um, And it's like, it's, yeah. And it's like, it's great that we're getting all these different stories about her and like making her relevant and everything. But like, I feel like, you know, they need to find the right audience for this. And like, luckily this is going to be on Netflix for the foreseeable future. So it lives on in our hearts. <laughs> so anyway, after that meeting, after, you know, exposing them for not doing their jobs. Because I was, and I was, the thing is I was still logged in because like no one logged me up. They don't change the passwords. So and so I was like, there's all these messages from people who don't, who are asking questions and like you're missing out engagement. And I know that like, you know, you have scheduled posts for things and that's fine, but there's like so much more that we could be doing. And I tell you the next day that Twitter was alive and, and, in, and interacting and, and then it was, I was like, great. And even yeah. if it was just for the last, the, for the run of it, that we really garnered like an audience and a fan base and got everyone to, to meet each other and connect with each other and connect, you know, with the community in our show. I think that's beneficial, but it was not easy to get there but i'm glad it happened (laughs) it's 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 funny that we talk about like the age demographic of the show because um coming into it it's coming into kind of the reopening on broadway i had a connection i was when that breakdown first went out for the couple replacements for coming back to broadway my agent and i had a conversation about about the project and i like mentioned it offhand to a friend of mine and her daughter who was 12 was like are you talking about Diana? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, my 12 year old is obsessed, obsessed with that show. And I was like, I, because I had barely heard about it at La Jolla at the time. And I'm like here doing the thing. Yeah. And she was like, I'm like, but I, I, it is, it is frustrating to hear that they didn't quite know that there was this huge demographic that passionately loved the show, you know, as 12 year olds do, Um, you know, that that is frustrating but also like inspiring at the same time because because like as a kid i remember thinking sideshow was like the greatest piece of art for me to have ever experienced at 14 years old right. you know what i mean i mean i still love sideshow but well, uh, yes the obviously about, but. <laughs> the thing about demographics is like it's it's it's, it's an easy way for uh marketing and creatives and whatnot to kind of just uh, break down just large groups of people, right? Like, I don't think there's there's really no such thing as one demographic liking one thing, you know, and whatnot. And, you know, I, I always just feel like you should market what it is you have as best you can, as best, represent it as best you can, and then just send out as wide a net as you can to see who you draw in. Mm-hmm. And that includes TikTok, that includes all this stuff. I was working on, uh, during, once lockdown was easing up, I was, uh, kind of unofficially hired to write a script for someone who had written all these a, a gentleman who is um of an older age i'll just put it that way he is much older and he was an uh, amateur songwriter and most of his songs were very like jazzy uh you know i don't want to sound rude but they were not they were not like gershwin jazz they it was like kind of background music at a restaurant kind of jazz standards <laughs> um, <laughs> But mm. a lot of songs about New York that very much were from his perspective, which is not a bad thing. We all write from our perspective, but he's older, male and white with a little bit of money. Mm. So like how he views 
like Central Park and Times Square is like a much more romanticized version than a lot of people. And he wanted me to write a script based off of his songs. That's all well and good. But then he started, he really wanted to like pitch it to Netflix or to Hulu or whatever. And he kept saying to me, do you think that the streaming crowd will go for my music? Do you think the streaming crowd will go for my music? And I was like, first of all, my 98 year old grandmother watches the crown. Everyone is the streaming crowd. Like it's every age. (laughs) Like, make what it is you want to make, dude. And, like, let's see who responds to it. Because also, like, maybe there is a 12-year-old out there who, like, would respond to his music. You never know. Like, I'm that weird kid who, you know, seven was listening to Carnival. Like, you know, who knows who's out there? Uh, Giving you Starlight Express at six years old. <laughs> I was actually uh, too esoteric for Starlight Express at six. I was like, oh, God, that, that basic show. That tracks. That I was tracks. like, where's Candide? Give me some Candide. I love also that Joe and David wrote um, Toxic Adventure. Like, that also kills me that these are the guys that wrote Come From Away and Toxic Adventure. It's like They didn't write Come From Away. Oh, they didn't write. Christopher uh, but, Ashley and Kelly Devine. That's who it was. Like, so you, so you have the staging of Come From Away and the people who wrote Toxic Adventure working together. And it's like, I love everything already. <laughs> Joe and David also me. did Memphis. Uh, so that's yes. another... Yeah like you can connect it to uh, and I, I would argue memphis might be a more swallowable musical for some people but i think diana is far more consistent in what it is because memphis will try to like i don't know it's memphis at one moment tries to be hairspray and then it tries to be like a lot more like yeah. right, really gritty and it's not it, 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 the 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 whiplash of that show is a lot which i i think is uh, really interesting because i think of like memphis as like very realistic like the the storytelling structure is very realistic versus diana which is so heightened um and i think that come from away is sort of halfway in between the two when we talk about that creative team from our directors that because because everybody kind of gets influenced by each other in the past work that they've done uh, i think it's just fascinating well come from away is a much more realistic musical it's much more uh it's smaller and what makes that show work on a theatrical level is like the smoothness of how it's presented. Mm-hmm. Um, Memphis, yeah, I mean, Barbara Cartland is not narrating anything in Memphis, so it is definitely a much more realistic <laughs> musical. On although, that front. although why isn't I would she? watch it. <laughs> why isn't she? She should. I will watch. I'll watch Barbara Cartland uh, narrate anything. Yeah, there, there, Chicago, there are moments Wicked. in Memphis that are just like very of its time that I don't think yeah. we would stand we for are, anymore. We are saying Judy Kay as. Barbara Cartland, right? Not the actual Barbara Cartland, because well, no, actual Barbara sorry. Cartland is dead now, baby. Yeah, I was like, I was like, are we going to do a seance? We're going to have a seance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're going to conjure. Yeah, Judy K as Barbara Cartland in literally any show. Um, Iceman cometh, uh, <laughs> death of a salesman, uh, perhaps cabaret. Uh, oh. uh, Barbara Cartland, Judy K as Barbara Cartland as the MC in cabaret. That is some high the, level concept yeah. shit. The, the Judy Kay playing. Judy K playing both sisters in Sideshow. <laughs> <laughs> She'll do it. She'll do it. <laughs> Actually, I would I would pay to see Gina and Aaron sing Sideshow together. But it but yeah. the original Sideshow, not the not the revised version that Aaron did on Broadway. Because much as I love Aaron, those re- those revisals were not it for me. Oh my god. Um, uh, so moving on. We can't talk about Sideshow anymore. I can't. I, I, <laughs> what show is this about? What show are we doing? <laughs> I mean, I, I wrote this on our outline because I was just like, the music slaps so hard. So, like, in your opinion, open to everyone, um, what slaps the hardest? I go back and forth with this so much. 
I go back. Okay, to- then give me your top two then. If you have, yeah, if you have I've two, a, I can narrow it down to two for you. All right. As far as like what felt the hardest to like, I mean, the most fun to like really dig into and sing was absolutely the main event every night. I mean, that was just like, oh, it felt so good. Um, and to listen to, I've got to say the rage. I mean, like I was, I was so like, I, I just felt like I was with him on that rock ride of like, it just angry just letting everything out like it was so satisfying he can also sing the bejesus out of that song yeah 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 um he killed it i loved singing i will i love singing the background (laughs) i will like oh my god like the like that was one of the first songs that we maybe rehearsed together and sang together um and then when i first heard like when the backing tracks came in for that I was like oh fuck yes so I was probably was my favorite thing to sing and then like slap oh god snap click like and I love that I got to like dance and sing and like let out that stuff on that that fucking bop because like it just sits in like such a fun place for everyone's voice um it's like it's it's those coats were like the, everything about snap click was was a shit for me I also love to see people dance oh yeah uh, Kurt, your top two. You'd, oh God. Um, because, I, I mean, it really, truly is an album of pops. Um, I, so I have, th- I have three that, like, I consistently listen to, like, I listen to a, these, like, at least once or twice every couple days. The first is Pretty Pretty Dress. That, yes. It's just, and I love, like, an, like a def- it, it's defying gravity with better fashion. You know, <laughs> um, nothing against the plain black dress, Alpha, but, I, but but the dress she wears in Act Two is better. Um, and like, I remember, I was doing South Pacific at the time, and I would just the the whole cast, I would just be like listening to Pretty Pretty Dress, being like. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do think that I miss you most on Sundays is the song that, like I like I can work myself up to crying during that song. Oh yeah, and I think she does such a beautiful job with it. But I I have to agree with Laura, the main event, um, with my favorite lyric in all of musical theater, the thriller in Manila with Diana and Camilla. (laughs) (laughs) It is the best lyric in all of musical theater. I don't know Sondheim. I don't know her. Uh, (laughs) I don't know her. uh, Jason Jason Robert Blue. I don't know her either. Jason Robert Blue. (laughs) The thriller. In Manila with Diana and Camilla, it's it. The bar has been the bar has been raised. I mean, I love main event is absolutely numero uno. Um, I also love the uh, for years this party will drip off my tongue. I was part. It was uh, I would I was part of the party where the mud was flung. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I fucking (laughs) love that line. Um, yeah, main event number one for sure. I also there are so many like ensemble moments in songs though that I give me my judge. So, um, world fell in love. The over here, princess die. I want it like that bit. I love. I love in um whatever love means anyway. The uh, fairy tale form of lies. Uh, like, could they be more in love than they are today? I love that. I also love um. Uh, and the words came pouring out the uh overlapping counterpoint. Yeah. Of the uh, as long yeah. as prepared, sir. Bum, bum, da, 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 da. A marriage built on lies, that depression, that, like that whole counterpoint shit. I love. I live for it. Um, I could dance for it all night long. Uh, I also love and all the uh 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 uh, which is like uh-huh. 
you guys had multiple orgasms a night doing like, those what, things. Ev- what other show have you ever heard that before, right? Like Sunday Park with George, obviously. I will I will say Diana used its ensemble in ways that we yeah. don't see on Broadway anymore. Like it it was really it's really spectacular. It vocally speaking, it was my favorite ensemble work of the season for yep. sure. 100%. Uh, followed closely by Strange Loop, but uh Strange Loop gets a ding for me on Broadway just because I find the sound design on Broadway to not be very good. So you guys to- had amazing sound design. We, we were very uh, yes, we have really every you won lyric- the Tony for that, right? No, he didn't win for Diana. No. He we had no. the we won the uh, who, who is that? Think, no, MJ Garrett. won the Tony for sound design, <laughs> which I I didn't see, but I understand the sound design for that show is incredible. Uh, it's Garrett. incredible. Yeah, but the, the sound design for design for Diana because sound design on Broadway is very difficult because uh, usually, like you know, people not everyone's mics are on the entire time, you know, <laughs> flipping on and off. But like people don't realize that. I'm saying this to your listeners, maybe don't realize. This oh, right, 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, it's why sometimes like you'll see a show and someone will start saying a line, and you're like, why does that sound so muted? And all of a sudden, their mic comes on. And both times I saw the show, that sound design was crisp and clear. Everyone was prominent. Everyone was blended. Everything was good. So your mixer is probably the best in the business that you all had. We had a great great sound team. It's a great great everyone from Longacre. Yeah, and honestly, like I have to shout out Ian Eisendrath and his team. Oh, yeah. We love Ian. Our music department, they got us together. They were and and lovingly relentless, like so on top of it. It was impossible to forget a note that they gave you because it was so like give and David was always David. I don't think David Bryan ever sat down. He was constantly pacing, like listening and like just always, always on like that whole the whole music team. You could tell they just really cared about crafting a sound that was crisp and that they wanted the audience to understand every single lyric and and really utilize us to advance the storytelling. And mm-hmm. I think they were completely successful with that because of how how much Ian paid attention to detail and how much he instilled that in his team. Yeah. There's something with the music in Diana of how it's composed, how it's arranged, how you all sang it, where it's like, uh, I talked about this on my podcast too, like wh- whether something is dramatically fulfilling on a music level can be analyzed till everyone's dead because everyone will have their own perspectives there is a chemical reaction that i have to the score of diana that we're just like every note just fits and then goes into a new place where you're like yeah no like um for example in uh world fell in love the ensemble going from the prettiest we've ever seen and then going into whoa and just like that like it you're just like of course that's where it goes to next that just fits so right like musically speaking nothing Mm -hmm. is ever jarring and any level of like there's no pivot turn musically where we're like oh well that kind of yeah. came out of nowhere like no it all just it yeah. it is a ride that just never has a bump in it musically you're always like yeah no this is exactly is the next note that should happen this fits and and like i think that's to a credit for joe and david because like it, it's just them it's not like they wrote the music and lyrics and then somebody else wrote the book or or there's like five people involved like it's just two and they are writing this entire show from start to finish which is great because like it goes it like like yes there are some wild lines and fun like not not on purpose funny moments in this but like it it it's one complete package it's two people it's like two people you could tell were locked in a room together to write this and they were like this is our goal we're writing this show and I mean and you all like were amazing in it 
Thank I will you. say that if, <laughs> if Joe and if Joe and Brian like they created the music team definitely made it theatrical. Like they definitely <laughs> trans transposed what they had with just the piano and their lyrics and put it up there in a way that they you know. Yeah, the music department for this show did top-notch work. All I'm, I'm done complimenting you both now. I feel like yeah. <laughs> I've complimented you guys way too much. Fine, fine. it's time to be bitches, Let's, let's, let's give you guys some feedback now. <laughs> he's, like, he's, like, he's like, I have notes. <laughs> let's, let's open up our notes, everyone, that we uh, all no. took. <laughs> But I, I do I but I think Matt's right. I don't think enough can be said for the um the vocal arrangements are stunning. And it's it's like you like you can't say it uh, Ian is having worked with him myself, he just is meticulous and it's the work that is done, that kind of work is so impressive and and it I mean Matt's right, it scratches an itch in your brain. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Like, I think this cast is just lightning in a bottle. Like, I don't know who else can, like, I'm sure anyone can do this. Like, but like the fact that it's these, it's you, you, you two, everyone else who's involved, like the next person who would have come in, I don't, I don't know what they would have done. I would love to have seen what they would have done, Mm -hmm. but it's just like, it's great that we now have this time capsule of the show. Cause it's like, it's so slappage. Like you guys go hardcore. I'm sorry. I'm gonna keep complimenting so both of you. I'm like Matt because I'm a little nicer. Uh, hair flip. Uh, but <laughs> like, <laughs> are we? I'm not, we're not fighting. Are we fighting? We're not fighting. <laughs> oh my god. I'm just like I'm just excited to be I here. Um, Andre, Laura, this is where you now start seeing the main event. Please, thank you. <laughs> John and Matt go into a separate Zoom call. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're just like, breakout room. No, I just finished a, a, a oh, feud no. I had on my podcast. Oh, no. <laughs> you had an actual feud on your podcast? I kind of did with another guest where he would bring up me making him watch the 2014 Annie and how he had to be in therapy over it. Oh, my gosh. That seems like a lot. Sorry. <laughs> Listen, yeah, there but there are worse movies than the 2014 he, Annie. Thank you. He, thank you. He got me. He got me back by making me watch a movie that was probably on a porn site, which is Jacques Brel's Alive and Well, Living in Paris. <gasps> oh. <laughs> I've seen that show. I love that show. Yes, it's a gorgeous yes. show. That movie is so hard to find, though. It is, yeah. and I'm pretty sure my computer has monkeypox. So, um, <laughs> well. <laughs> He got me back. Well, hopefully, hopefully that vaccine appointment is easier to get. I'm getting mine today. I'm going in it. I'm Yay! Going in. Yes! yes! I've had, I've had the two-week mark since I had mine, so I am walking out of the world ready to be a slut again. <laughs> I, I think I, I think I have mine next week. I have to double check. Before we completely derail and everything, is there any like? This is such a free-flowing conversation. I know Matt is used to me having a segment at the end, but I'm not doing it for this. But, like, is there anything you all want to talk about before we, like, go into plugs? I just want to say, um, like, anytime I've ever, like, met someone that, like, loves this show, like, I'm so grateful for that because, you know, we did work really hard to to make it the thing that mm-hmm. it was. And we we really loved the process. It was not easy by, like, any means. You know what I mean? Like, so many of us, Laura and I, were making our Broadway debut that got pushed back. And it was just, like, this crazy emotional roller coaster and, like, we went through so much internally within a company to make the thing. And like, 
the whole process now like feels like it it happens so fast but I'm so grateful and I think I swear a lot like we're so grateful to the fandom and the fact that I can say the fandom about this show that I did that I love so much that was like you know we were we were so lucky you know we got to do the Broadway debuts we got we got to have um an opening night party where nobody got COVID at our opening night party we got to do a half album and we got to be like we got to get a pro shot like so lucky uh that this was the thing that was my that my my first time um into this thing that I love so much at that level mm-hmm. um but like to like any dive family that's listening to this like thank you 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 that thank you like we thank you so much like we 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 always feel that love the love is never you know it's always welcomed you know like we mm-hmm. we're really proud of it and um we, to feel like we're part of like a cult classic is iconic and uh yeah so like just thank you so much Mm-hmm. Uh, Lord, do you have anything else you want to say? I mean, along along the same lines, like it's um, it it was just bizarre to like experience this like simultaneous like collective trauma and collective blessing of this whole experience. It's like while the whole world and our industry was going through something, is going through something that is just really unpredictable. Um, it it felt like we had uh, this little oasis in the, in the middle of it all. And that, that wasn't lost on me at all, how incredibly lucky we were to be working at a time when a lot of artists um, didn't have that opportunity. And, and it felt like our producer, like, even in hindsight, like, I don't know that letting Netflix out ahead of us opening technically was the best move because I personally think this is a show best enjoyed in person um just to feel the energy of it and everything um but it it really felt like everybody involved really believed that we were a part of something special and I and I hope that that continues on and I love our Fanos so much because it truly made all of the things that were so difficult to hear so much easier. Um, Just knowing that there were people out there that genuinely loved what we had created because nobody creates a show to be like, this is gonna be panned. Like everybody, if you're creating something, you're making it because you believe in it. And we really believed in it. And this creative team really believed in it. And I'm just, I'm grateful to have some, distance from the experience now and I think like the the further along we go you know I'll even have more insight but right now I just feel grateful to have been a part of it at a time when nothing was guaranteed nothing is ever guaranteed so Kurt final thoughts uh, I just really want to take an opportunity to thank Andre and Laura for sharing their experiences with us and to really commend you like as someone who got to see the show a lot and got to experience kind of the Diana mania from those of us who are in the industry. And cause like, we were all rooting for you. Like we all wanted, like I said, I was like, this is, I was like, this is the, the event of the season. Like you have, I told you, I was like, you have to go see it. It's incredible. You have to go. And um, I just really appreciate taking your time and energy and sharing your experiences with us. Matt. Yeah, thank you both again, and uh, for tolerating the the, uh, the gays yeah. just going on and on about sideshow. Uh, <laughs> no, it was so a like, brief diversion. 
well so like i have been like a theater kid since birth and I come from you know a New York theater going family and my you know tastes evolve as you get older and whatnot and I definitely have like a very I don't know like my taste is not specific I like a lot of various things but I do try to hold a bar for something like Broadway of like if you're gonna be on Broadway like try to be as as good a thing as you can be or like as memorable as you can be like make choices and like I'll be honest I I the the show of Diana I when I look at it objectively when I analyze it I don't necessarily I can't tell you that it is a strong piece on its own, but there is something about it that is so bold and so like BDE that I can't help but bow down to because the thing about Broadway these days, and I really don't like to be this kind of a pessimist, but sometimes you see it on there. There, Laura's right. You know, most creatives do not write a show to be like, we're going to write something that people are going to hate and make fun of forever. Like people want to make a good show. There are occasionally movie studios or corporations that are like here's something from our library that we can make money off of right and you you can't help but see sort of the workmanship sometimes with the show uh i could get, give names i won't do that but there are some shows sometimes we were like like i've i've sat there and felt like my time be wasted because i'm like this is not a show where you thought how do we make this a new piece that people will enjoy and like appreciate the story anew we're just like how do we put the screenplay and add a couple of songs to it there you go and Diana, for every bump, every high, every low, every whatever, is a night of bold choices that is never boring. It is always engaging. And I'm like, say what you will, I'll never forget it. And it is, that is the thing that you can, both of you, I think, I hope you hold on to of like, this, the legacy of this show is stronger than a lot of shows that have come before it and will come after it. And that is something that is so rare in theater and so precious in theater to like have something that's just going to be like this talked about forever. And that is, yeah, that it's, it's just very special and it's special to me. And I hope other people uh, will take it in and like, they can love it or they can hate it, but they can, they have to, they have to experience it. It's, it's very much like the Carrie slogan they had when Carrie was on Broadway. There's never been a musical like, I'm like, like, no. I'm like you better like, fucking hey. believe there isn't. 100%. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, there's no other show like Diana. Uh, and that is, I, yeah, it, yes. Diana never wasted my time any single second I ever saw it. <laughs> and yeah, I, 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 w- I would run out and I would tell everyone I know. I was like, no, you see it. I, I can't tell you what you're, what you're going to think of it, but fucking see it. Don't like, don't go see, you've seen the movie. You don't need to see the show. See this. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm still, I'm still kicking myself for not seeing it live, but I'm so happy that there is, this version of it because like it does feel like I'm seeing a show it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like they have the cool different angles from camp with the camera work and everything to you know be a little more cinematic about it but like you all are giving a thousand and fifty percent like it's as if I'm in the orchestra watching the show happening and I really do appreciate it. And I'm so sorry, like, if you guys are getting getting backlash about it or, like, getting a lot of hate from it, especially, like, uh, Gina getting a lot of hate from it, too, because, I mean, she is the, the lead. She's give, She's doing her goddamn job. Like, she's... And she's excelling at it. Like, this isn't easy material. She... From what I saw in this, she barely leaves the stage. And if she's leaving the stage, she's doing a quick change. Like, (laughs) I don't know when that woman took a breath during the show. Um, 
from what I can assume was an actual perform performance of it. So bless her. I want all of you to have amazing careers and just to look back on this and maybe like be like, remember that time? Uh huh. <laughs> I don't. I hope you both have terrible careers after this. <laughs> I have. I have to cut through this schmaltz. I hope you both fly. No, it, you don't wish like ill on anyone who's just trying to like make do their job, make their way in right. the world, right? Yeah. Um. But the other thing is like when sometimes uh there's there's nothing wrong with like acknowledging sometimes when people don't always like do the best kind of work, right? Like I think that that's the whole point of art is like you're not you never know what spaghetti's gonna stick to the wall, but you, so and you you can just keep throwing it. And what I love about Diana is sometimes the spaghetti sticks, sometimes they forgot to cook it, and I can still crunch the spaghetti on the floor. And sometimes they realize they're throwing chocolate pudding at the wall. But you want to know something? I'm there for every throw. There are some people, they threw the spaghetti at the wall, and I'm like, I don't want to be in the room where it happens. This one, though, I will be there for every single fucking throw. No, and, and like, I can't say that for a lot of shows, you guys. John can tell you, I am a hateful bitch. I have high standards. I am hypercritical. <laughs> team the show. And for every note I have on Diana, at the end of the day, I'm like, I'm still listening to this score. <laughs> I'm still quoting it to people. The only thing you you do miss from the Netflix, John, is you have you're missing the gays like me in that audience, shouting work every time Gina said a line that was like. To Don't worry, for. that's me watching it by myself. <laughs> but you, but there's but a like, sense, there's a sense of community when oh, true, 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 days yes. when she goes, actually, it's a royal highness, and we all have our margaritas, and we go. <laughs> I love that. I love Matt. I love Matt talks about it like it's the most sacred. Like uh, uh, Pride started as a riot. Diana started as a riot. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I now have a running joke. We're seeing. Uh, I, about like uh you know civil rights and queer rights and i i just i keep on making it a larger more nonsensical thing so it's, it's gotten to the point where i'm like judy garland's not peg president truman for you to not take advantage <laughs> of having gay marriage and so i'm like gina dewall did not piss all over the long acre stage Hello. so you could not go to pride marches. <laughs> she she is she will be a queer icon for the rest of her life. To not wear a refrigerator box to sometimes not have it get torn off of her, so that way you would not go to the <laughs> struggle and, and pay ten dollars for a box of soda. Matt, Only sometimes, will, though. Matt, will you cast? That I was... Matt, will you cast her in your version? Can you sure. cast her as Diana? Great. Well, and so, well, so you offer, said I don't at least know. Offer it to lightning her. in the bottle does cast, and so I'm like, well, let's wait to see my production. Let's see what lightning I cast. True. But, <sighs> No, if do it in like forty years, and you she can be um, Queen Elizabeth. Yes. I'll, yes, I'll do it in twenty years, and Sydney Lucas will be my Diana, and Gina will be my Elizabeth. <laughs> okay, you uh, really thought uh, this was a running joke, but you really have thought about this. <laughs> always, I, I, he always. Does. I thought of how I'm going to stage Diana. I put it on my phone in a note. And I'm like, for one day. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I'm calling it. We're done with the episode, everyone. Thank you so much. Do you? What do you all have to plug promote? Um, I'll start with Andre. What do you have? What do you got? Um, you can just follow me on Instagram at Jersey's Andre Jordan. Uh, Jersey spelled with a Z. On Jersey's Andre Jordan. Um, and that's pretty much it. Just like follow me there for like pretty much everything. Um, Cinnabons Jordan also on Twitter. I have this weird thing where like I'm so obsessed with like putting Z at the end of shit and it's like for the pearl S's. Like, so, like Cinnabons C I N N A B O N Z Jordan. Oh. <laughs> I'm that girl. Uh, but yeah, that's it. Just follow me there for updates and more. Uh, Laura? I, Andre, no plug for Sparkles? 
Oh, my gorgeous dog Sparkles, who, yeah, she's been here, though. Yeah, she's a beautiful, beautiful, you can see her on my Instagram. Okay. <laughs> no preview. Just, no, just, you have to go, you have to follow me there. I'm yeah. here. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm on, I'm on Instagram, too. Follow me. This is Laura Strackle. Um, and if you need any chess lessons, I'm your girl. I can literally teach anyone to play chess as long as you're three years or up. Come to me. For starters, I thought you said chest lessons. I was like, what? Where are we going with this? <laughs> chess, <laughs> chess. Chess, Queen's, Queen's Gambit. Queen. She is the Queen's Gambit. Yes. yes. Uh, Kurt, what do you have? What I was going to say, Chess, what a side hustle. Um, <laughs> uh, I, you can find me on Insta, all social media as Kurt Perry 41, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, I don't say anything of consequence, but I am there. <laughs> Matt? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Matt Coplick, usual spelling. Uh, the only social media I have is Instagram. And you can listen to my podcast, Broadway Breakdown, available wherever you listen to podcasts. And our Patreon just went live. So uh, you can go on there where we have some exclusive content that's not on the podcast. And yeah, we're going to... When is this coming out, Sean? When is this episode coming out? Thursday. <laughs> Never mind. Oh, actually, so you know what? The episode on Diana for my podcast, which is going to, which is the last episode of the current mini series that I'm doing on shows that had either mild or no success on Broadway. John was on. He talked about working with me. Uh, the series is literally called Underestimated, and we end the series Aww. with Diana, Love and it. uh, it's with my former co-host John. He he came back to talk about it with me, and that episode will be coming up the same day as this episode. So um, you'll hear. You'll I did hear not plan done. that. I did not plan. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, John and I. We but we both love the show dearly. The when we talk about it is a, with a little bit of a uh, bitchier tone than how I spoke about it today. But just understand the love is there on both podcasts. It. I, I yes. when I talk about the love, it is not ironic. And, and when like, John texted me after watching it for my podcast, he was like, "Thank you for introducing me to my new favorite musical." And do not dare <laughs> laugh at that. And I was like, "I would never." So this is this guys, is... you have five hours of Diana content this week to listen to. So have at. Um, and if you want to get in touch with me, I mean, what was your Diana story? You can email me at buttersongpod at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at buttersongpod. Um, show some love for Andre and Laura and the rest of the cast of Diana the Musical. Um, and keep watching this, I guess. And if you want to be part of next episode's conversation, we're going back to the regularly scheduled program and we're going to be talking about Tommy. Uh, <laughs> I thought Ooh, things. Girl, Tommy. <laughs> Tommy. <laughs> uh, well, and Matt- Margaret bathing in baked beans and champagne. <laughs> we love it. Well, Matt, Matt is going to be a guest, but I would like to invite the three of you, Kurt, uh, Laura, Andre, come back on whenever you want. If you have an idea, just like <laughs> message me, talk to me off. Well, when we're not recording right now, if you were <laughs> like, I want to do this episode, we will make it work. Um, and thank you again for this. This is this is mind blowing because this is episode 150 of this podcast. And like, <laughs> I'm so happy that this is like a big milestone. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, it was a big milestone. Also breaking tradition because usually I talk just movie, movie musicals or mu- musical TV shows. So like, this is the first Li- uh, like live performance recorded of a musical that we're talking about. Oh. So, and of course, we had to start with Diana. <laughs> 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 but again, thank you so much. Thank you everyone for listening. Thank you for 150 episodes. Ah! Uh, and bye for now, everyone. 
Special thanks to Justin Johnson for creating the podcast's artwork and to Nick Bombasino for composing the theme song and the jingles in this podcast. And thank you to CastBox for hosting this podcast. Bye again, everyone, and have a musical day. <laughs>